Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Good morning. It's hard to believe that we are halfway through uh, July. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter 5 is where we'll be this morning, looking at the first uh, five verses. If you don't have a Bible, the verses will be behind me uh, on the screen. Um, As a church, we've actually been studying through this book for about five months, so we are entering the final few weeks of uh, 1 Peter, and then I'll just kind of give you a preview of what's coming up. During August, we'll have more of a topical series, like a different topic every single week, and then we'll roll into our uh, fall series in September. If you Google servant leadership, you will not find a recognized authority to define the term. Wikipedia says this, servant leadership is a philosophy in which the main goal of the leader is to serve. It credits Robert Greenleaf as defining the philosophy. Cheryl Williamson wrote a Forbes article article and said, uh, servant leadership, how to put your people before yourself. She also credits Greenleaf and quotes his definitive passage saying, The servant leader is a servant first. It begins with the natural feeling that one wants to serve, to serve first. Now, clearly, in the Gospels, Jesus defined leadership and servant leadership long before Greenleaf or Williamson ever did. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 20, 26-28 to, to leaders, He said, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus gives us an example of what true leadership looks like. Which oftentimes is not our experience in this life as you serve underneath somebody or as you work for somebody. Or maybe yourself are in a leadership role to see Uh, Is it lorded over people? Is it domineering over people? Or is the leaders coming in to serve the people? So today's passage may seem a bit strange as we continue on in the letter of 1 Peter. As he's kind of wrapping up, he's talking about suffering throughout. Well, now he's going to focus the first five verses of chapter 5 on uh, the elders of the church. And so in, in many ways, I'm talking to myself this morning. But on that note, I'm preaching to myself every single week when I'm preaching to all of us. But specifically, he's kind of calling out the elders on this first part, and then he's going to address the body at the end of this uh, message as well. We live in a time, we live in a culture where there's a lack of trust for leaders, specifically in the church. I mean, a great time to choose to be a pastor or to have a calling as a pastor. A Gallup poll found that pastors are now seen as less trustworthy than judges daycare providers, police officers, wow, that one hurts, pharmacists, medical doctors, grade school teachers, military officers, and nurses. So lack of trust for pastors is at at an all-time high. Now you understand when I'm hesitant when somebody says, what do you do? And I like to make it awkward and say all these other things that I do, and then I kind of add on, and I'm also a pastor. It's a lack of trust for church leaders at an all-time high. But to be honest, I can understand on one hand. 
Just turn on the news. Just pull up your favorite website. Just scroll social media and we see stories that seem like daily, weekly, monthly, of some abuse of a church leader in a particular area in various forms. And to be clear, we never want to excuse that. We never want to say, but they're a leader, but they're a pastor, but they're God's chosen person. Because sometimes we see that, right? They kind of ride off and sweep it under the rug. And I think for years, for generations even, there were churches and leaders who would get away with that. They would just pull up the rug and sweep it underneath and everything would go, right? And they would just kind of get rid of the people who were, were calling it out. Well, now in our generation, I think it's a good thing. We're saying, no, we're not going to take that. We're, that. That is inexcusable. And so in many ways, all of us are suspicious of leaders. And nowhere more suspicious than perhaps in the church. Can I trust what this individual is telling me? Can I trust these leaders? Think about the church. This should be the place that's safe to trust leaders, right? The, the place that we can trust individuals. But as a result of the abuse by some, at times, many of us in our generation have said we're going to discredit and disrespect and don't trust specifically church leaders at all. We're just to kind of, hey, we're, we're going to throw them out. But then on the other hand, this is what we're seeing this morning, we're still called to hold on to this passage where Peter says, be subject to the elders. We're going to kind of unpack that. What does that look like? What does that mean? What does a healthy form of being subject to the elders mean? Now, is that hard to do? Absolutely. But we need to understand the problem is not biblically qualified leaders in the church. I had that biblically qualified for a reason. Problem's not the biblically qualified ones. The problem is bad, unbiblically unqualified leaders who have crept their way into the church. Sometimes these are wolves in sheep clothing. We're actually we're told in scripture about false prophets and false teachers. And so that, that is the problem that when they creep in and they get elevated into these positions, that then the abuse comes out. And so are there bad leaders in the church? I'm not saying sojourn church, but are there bad leaders in the church, broadly speaking? Yes. And so sometimes, I want to say this carefully, in conversations, I know people say, well, you know, I don't trust leaders because of this, and this happened, this happened. And I understand, we're called to a high standard, we're going to look at that, but I also want to say, are there bad people in fill-in-the-blank, your profession? Are there bad teachers? Are there bad nurses? Are there bad pharmacists? Are there bad IRS people? Are there bad stay-at-home moms? Are there bad on Yes. And so I say, okay, now we can have this conversation. Now we can look at what Peter's going to address to us and to tell us. Just because we've seen the abuse, just because we've seen the negative, doesn't mean we just throw it out entirely and say, well, I'm not, I'm not going to respect that. Well, I'm not going to do that. Once again, as Christians, as called out ones, as sojourners, if we say we want to live by your will and by your word, how do we submit to that? regardless of what we've seen of the abuse of things. Once again, it doesn't mean you submit to those leaders who are abusing it, but in a biblically qualified, healthy manner. If you've studied the New Testament much, you're familiar with the Apostle Paul. We've been obviously looking at the letter that, for one of the letters first, uh, that Peter wrote. They were aware of corrupt leaders and teachers in the church. And so really, if you think about it, it's always been there because there's sin. Now, I don't say that to, to just say, hey, let's, let's just accept it willy-nilly. Here's the difference. There's now this thing called social media. Mm -hmm. We now all have phones that tell us of these stories. And some way, that's good, right? Because now we can call it out and say, we need to get rid of that person. Now we can do 
third-party investigations and all these types of things. But even in the New Testament, we see that these leaders were creeping their way into the church. But it doesn't say, because there are some corrupt leaders, that we as the body are able to disrespect and just throw out the idea of church leadership. See, Peter and Paul, they weren't naive. They knew that we lived in a fallen world. So they weren't surprised when it happened. So sometimes when we're surprised, it's almost like, man, let's go back and study the New Testament, see if this ever happened there. And then we see that, man, it's continued. History can continue to repeat itself. And so when Peter says, be subject to the elders, he's talking about be subject to the faithful teachers and shepherds. And that we need faithful shepherds and, te- and teachers and shepherds in the church. It's easy to be critical of pastors. It's easy to find the, the, the fault in leaders, even the good ones. But the reality is that God has given us church leaders. And he's given us church leaders for a couple reasons. One, for the good of the church. You don't want a church without leaders. That's why he calls them sheep and shepherds, right? If, if you've ever seen sheep just out there wondering, right? They need a shepherd to kind of guide them, lead them. He's also given us church leaders for your own good. And so it's for your good that you are given church leaders. Tabidi Anawal, I'm not really sure how to say his last name, it's spelled very differently, but he says a healthy member gives himself to the Lord, first and foremost, that's who we give ourselves to, and then to the minister of the Lord, knowing that this is God's will. Leadership in the local church is established by God for the good of the people. You see, the church flourishes under good, healthy leaders. And this text today is going to tell us the type of leaders that we need to lead us as a church. The type of leaders we need to lead us as we are suffering in this life and we face trials. Now to be sure, pastors are very ordinary people. As you've gotten to know me, you've probably learned that. You've probably realized that. But pastors should aspire to be like Jesus, our servant leader, our chief shepherd, who is our example. And so here's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at four things this morning. We're going to look at the elder's task. We're going to look at the elder's manner. We're going to look at the elder's reward. And we're going to look at the church member's response. And so point number one this morning is the humble elder's task, verses one and two. Peter says, So I exhort you, I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Now, the most common New Testament term for church leaders is elders. This was a typical form of leadership you see in the New Testament. And and I would argue, my conviction is that a healthy church really is a plurality of elders. Now, I know you might say, well, we only have one. Well, it's because we're a church plant and we're small. And as we grow, Lord willing, God will provide other healthy leaders so that we can also have a plurality of um, elders. And so that is kind of one of our aspirations as a church, that we would get to that place. And in giving this exhortation to the elders, Peter doesn't say, look, I'm an apostle coming in with a different authority to tell you this. He actually says, I'm a fellow elder with you. So I'm, I'm here like on a peer level relating 
to you. So I'm not telling you you need to do these things. I'm telling you you need to do these as well as I'm telling myself I need to do these things. And he, and he exhorts them in a threefold way. So first he says, as a fellow elder. And so he's identifying with them. He's getting on their level and saying, look, I deal with this as well. I understand the calling that we are called to. I understand how it is that we are to shepherd, to lead, to feed, and to guide. Then he says, as a witness of Christ's suffering. Think about this entire letter. He's been talking about suffering all throughout the letter. And he's told us the suffering is the pathway to glory. Well, there's a lot of suffering when it comes to leadership. There's a lot of suffering and being in church leadership specifically. And so he's saying, as one who's witnessed Christ's suffering, be reminded we too will suffer, and we too as leaders may actually suffer first, and we may even suffer more because of our leading out of the body. But we think about Jesus. Jesus traveled the same road, and so believers should not be surprised when we are called to do the same. As Jesus as the chief shepherd, as our model, as our example, so then shepherd specifically, but then all of us should not be surprised when we're called to that same life and that same road. Third, he says, a sharer of the glory to come. So Peter identified himself with the other elders, saying that we would eventually share in the glory to be revealed. What he's encouraging us to do here is endure the suffering that we're called to endure. Because we will receive the reward for our suffering in the future. Remember, he's been pointing to this, this future inheritance, this future reward that we have given. That we may not be given that here. We may not be given accolades. We may not be given praise rewards for what it is that we're called to do here. In this case, this was just saying those who are leading the church, but that your reward will come. And that you don't do it for the reward that you will get here. You do it ultimately for Jesus and for his glory, and that one day he will give you the reward. We see here that the elders in verse 2 are entrusted with the responsibility to shepherd the flock. And so to act as a shepherd, to tend to the sheep this is where we get our English verb and noun pastor from. And so like the word elder, pastor, shepherd are typically used interchangeably. So you might be a church, oh, we have one pastor. Or you might say we have multiple elders. Um, so pastor, shepherd, elder. And Jesus himself gives himself the title, the good shepherd. And so shepherds, pastors, elders today, we are, we are what could be called the under shepherd. And so we would say like, who's the leader of sojourn? Jesus. All right, you guys repeat after me. Who's the leader of sojourn? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is our chief shepherd. And who's the under-shepherd of that? My, my, myself helping lead us and guide us with hopefully wisdom and discernment and insight. But Jesus is always our, our example, our chief shepherd. And so what makes that nice is we can study the life of Jesus. If you see that I make a decision or I call you to do something contrary to what we see in his word, you can call me on that. And you say, that, I don't see Jesus doing that. I don't see Jesus calling us to do that. And so that's where it helps bring in some accountability. Martin Luther rightly argues that one of the primary ways that we shepherd God's flock is by preaching the gospel. Now, I don't think it's the only way, but it is one of the ways. This is how you get fed with the word of God. Based on studies, and I, this isn't accountability time, so you don't have to tell me, but based on studies, um, if, if it's accurate for our church, like most churches, very few of you actually study the word of God throughout the week. Or you maybe study it very few times throughout the week. And so I've gone back and forth in my own life because I have a huge heart for discipleship. And I, you know, I, don't, I know and don't believe that just this is what's going to do it. But I realize this is one reason because the sheep need to be fed. You need to learn how to be self-feeders, but you also need to be fed by your shepherds. This is one reason I believe in the preaching of the word week in and week out. And that it's relevant to us just as it was relevant to back then. We need the word of God preached to us. 
And then Peter also tells us in this second verse, he lists some ways that we are to act as shepherds, and he lists two sins which we are especially prone to as leaders and which we should give attention. Compulsion and shameful gain. So first he says, don't, don't shepherd by, uh, not by compulsion or constraint, but willingly. In other words, don't simply do the, the job out of obligation. You don't want someone who's like, well, you know, there's people who are sending support checks and who said they needed me to go lead this thing in Portland, so I guess, I guess I'll do it. No, you want your elder, your leader, your guide to guide willingly. I get to, not I have to. I willingly want to freely choose to live this out to lead other people. Now, I'm going to let you in a little secret. Sometimes sheep stink, but this is what we're called to, to shepherd, to guide, to lead. Life is messy. Life's not always easy. It's not always picking daisies in the field. Sometimes it's very challenging, but we should do it so willingly, not under compulsion, not under like, I have to do this. He also says that elders to serve not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Now, I know we all have a story of this. We see a leader in the church, and there's greed and self-interest. Right? I was talking with my discipleship group a couple months ago, and maybe, you know, we added a second car to our family. We added a 20-year-old vehicle. I'm not out there driving the newest, driving the newest BMW or, or Tesla. You know, not that would necessarily be wrong. God provided, but God didn't provide in those means, right? This isn't a get-rich-quick scheme. But we've seen that happen. We've seen the abuse of that. He says, don't do it for shameful gain. Serve eagerly. When we lived in India, there was a network, and they were called Bond. Um, There was some guy named Bond, and he was pouring in money. And what they were doing, as part of what I was doing, I was with a different organization, though, is we were helping see churches start all over the nation of India, in areas where there have never been churches before. It's really, really good work. Well, then, when I would go into these villages, they would ask me if I was with the Bond network. And I thought, what in the world is this? So finally, I figured out there was this group going in, and just so they could put it on their report that they were planting all these churches, is they started paying people to go and start churches, and then they were paying people who were uh, Hindus and Muslims who were like, I don't even believe in Jesus, or I don't follow Jesus, but if you're going to give me a paycheck to do it, and so we kind of, we saw the abuse of that come in. So I was thinking about that this week, that that's not why we're to do it. There's no greed or self-interest in it. If you want to get, uh, if you want to go towards that, go towards a different career. It's not about climbing a ladder to a higher, higher place. And so how do we desire to shepherd the flock among us at Sojourn? And I say desire because I know that we don't necessarily hit this on all levels at all times, but as we desire, aspire, as we grow, as we would see a plurality of elders, leadership form, uh, knowing, leading, feeding, protecting. So first by knowing. In order to lead the people, you have to know the people. In order to hold people to a, a standard and accountability, and as having a responsibility to lead them, you must know them. And so part of my role is to know you. And so you might wonder, why does Matt want to get coffee? Or why does Matt want to go out to eat? Other than I really like to eat, go out to eat, I love to get coffee. Why does Matt want to spend time with you? I want to get to know you. And as we have more leaders, we want to get to know you. Second is leading. That, that I have a role to be responsible to lead with wisdom and discernment. And hopefully I lead you well. I know I don't do it perfectly, but desire to lead you well. Feeding. If sheep don't eat, what happens? They die. Get turned into a, a coat or something. And so we feed through the word of God at Sojourn, which is why we teach week in and week out, why we study scripture in our gospel community. We want to be fed with the word of God as we wrestle through it together. 
And the fourth thing is protecting. We are told that there are fierce wolves and that they will come into our midst. And so part of the way that we protect is we rebuke false teaching and teachers when we hear it. So there might be a popular book that comes out sometime by a supposed Christian. And so some part of my role is to kind of call that out and say, wait a minute, that's not, you know, that's not what the Bible teaches. Or maybe there's a popular teacher who, who was holding this view and all of a sudden they're over here on this view. And, and, and you start getting influenced by them, right? Because I have a very little platform. They may have a big platform and you're seeing them on social media and you're watching their messages. I have a job to step in and help protect you. Say, be cautious. You need to be warned. You need to, you need to take caution here because they're going to lead you down a path that's away from where we need to go. There's a, I hesitate to even call a church. I'm not going to give it to you by name up here anyway, but just a few miles down the street from here. And I actually pray that God would shut them down because I know some of what they're teaching and they're leading people astray and they're leading people in path to hell. Part of my job is to protect you against that. And so if at some point you're called to leave this church and go to another church, what do I do? And I've done this with people who have left. I do my best not to be controlling and say, come back to sojourn. I know there's a time and place God may call somebody away, but I want to know my best and do my duty to help see that they're, they find a new church. It's faithfully proclaiming the God's word, feeding them God's word, leading, guiding, and protecting them in a biblical manner, not leading them away from truth on a path that's going to lead them to destruction. And who's my example? Jesus. Jesus does all for us. He leads us. He knows us. He feeds us. He protects us. As so a pastor should shepherd willingly. They shouldn't be forced to do it. Andrea shouldn't have to be elbowing me in the morning and say, you got to get up. You've got to do this. Now, there are weeks I'm struggling, but she shouldn't be having to do that every week. Like, you've got to do this, right? Like, this is your role. This is the job that you have to play. We shouldn't begrudge our duties as a pastor. Ah, another meeting. Ah, another, another this, another that. It's not that I have to, it's I get to. And I sincerely consider it an honor and privilege to lead and shepherd and guide and teach the people of Sojourn Church. So hear that for me. That it is a privilege, that it is an honor. I would say I'm failing forward. So thank you for sticking with me and my failures as we all follow Jesus. So that's our first point. Point number two. The elder's manner says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So Peter now adds a third sin that is very prone and common to leaders domineering, domination. And unfortunately, for some reason, I'm sure there's a psychology behind this, but maybe it's just in general, those who are attracted to leadership or called to leadership tend to lean towards being more domineering because we've seen a lot of that. About a decade ago, there was, uh, it was almost like that's what you wanted in church leadership. And when you would do assessments and studies, it was like, no, we want this. And those were churches that were like exploding in growth. And then a decade later, they call a lot of them kind of imploded for the very same reasons. And so he says, pastors are called to lead, protect, and to provide by not domineering over those in their charge, but by being examples. This echoes Jesus' own warning when Jesus said, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. So faithful, caring shepherds don't lord it over you. They serve those under their care, and they do so willingly and eagerly. And so qualified elders are those who model and practice the way of Jesus. We don't see Jesus domineering. Is that the, is that the way that we see Jesus when we say the life of Jesus? No, he's serving. He's washing the feet of, his, of, of the people. And so once again, as we aspire and as we grow and as we get more elders... 
part of your job, part of your employee as a body is make sure that we're not putting people who are going to be domineering and controlling over you. But they're leading and guiding and with humility as they follow Jesus and his example. And so that was our second point, the humble elders' manner, which brings us to point number three. The humble elders' reward. Look at verse four. It says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, Peter called on leaders to sacrifice, but he didn't call them to sacrifice with no thought of reward. He didn't say, you're just going to sacrifice in this life and there will never be any joy, there will never be any kind of reward. But he doesn't promise any earthly reward. He doesn't say, do this for so many years, and then eventually you're going to be propped up to this, or you're going to be on the conference circuit speaking, or you're going to get all these you know, extra, extra perks for being a leader. He doesn't promise us any of that. And he constantly reminds us of the opposite, actually. Suffering. Because you're going to suffer. And so that's why I think as soon as he, he was talking about last week of us suffering well and reminding us yet again, now he's saying, let me talk to the elders. You too will suffer. And you might suffer more and you might suffer first. But he points us to look at the future. This is like that. It's a time and a place that we're like a vapor, that we're here and that we're going. So our suffering, our, our leading, and our guiding we have to look beyond this present world. We have to look to when we will be with the chief shepherd. We'll be in his presence. We're receiving our reward when we hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. And so verse 4 seems to indicate that elders should serve the local church in a way that's pleasing to God. Not in order to obtain honor, not in order to obtain wealth in this life, but to obtain the unfading crown of glory, as it says, when Christ returns. Now I'll be honest. Just like it's not always easy to follow this as, as a member, it's not always easy to live this out as one who's called to lead and guide as a shepherd. Sometimes you want to have recognition. Sometimes the suffering, well, it's something really never fun. Sometimes you start looking around and going, man, maybe I could get something a little bit more over there. Maybe I could get a little bit more back here. Instead of focusing on, on Jesus saying, where have you called me? Where do you want me to lead? Where do you want me to guide? Who do you want me to protect? And so I share that to say, sometimes that is challenging, but also I'm doing my best to trust Jesus and doing my best to lead you, guide you, protect you. And not doing it for a crown, for glory that we would receive here. Because I'm never, never promised that will come. But that one day when Christ returns, it will. And then our final point this morning is the humble church member's response. So it kind of says, elders, this is how you're to do. Here's how you're supposed to lead. Here's how you're supposed to shepherd a guy, protect, teach. And then he, he brings it back around. He's actually about to start a new section, but he kind of adds it in here with this section. And verse 5. It says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So he used that word likewise to kind of shift his attention. So he's kind of saying, hey, elders, I'm going to pick on you for a little bit. And now he's going to shift say, likewise, all of you. This is how you relate to the elders in the church. And this is how you relate to one another in the church. Specifically, it says, you who are younger. Now, there's kind of uh, not a full consensus on exactly what audience he's referring to there. 
It could be one of two, and it could really be both of those. It probably means younger members in the congregation, but it also probably means younger as far as immature. So, you know, when someone's new in their faith, not that they're an immature person, but they're immature spiritually, right? Because you have a new birth. And when you have a new birth, you're very new in your faith. And so saying, you who are younger, and then, you know, sometimes you who are younger can be headstrong. And you might think you know more than you do, or you can be resistant to leadership. I can look back at my younger years, definitely resistant to leadership. So we're saying those who are younger, those who are immature in their faith, you too, or you especially, be subject to the elders. Show a willingness to support the elders, their directions, unless they direct you to sin. We've seen elsewhere that Peter understood submission as the responsibility of believers to those in positions of authority. This isn't, I know this isn't easy, but this is what we're called to do, that we are called as the bodies to submit to those who are put in this position. As, there's kind of a caveat, as they're submitting to Jesus, the chief shepherd. Because then you can trust that they're leading you and guiding you in the way that God wants you to do. Now, to be clear, and this goes back to the beginning, when we've seen the abuse, this is not to encourage obedience no matter what a leader may say. This is not encouragement to, to blindly follow and to never question and to get situations that could go south very quickly. This is where we've seen the abuse come in on multiple, multiple levels. So to be clear, it is not that at all. And even though we don't have a plurality of elders, in case you're curious, and it says this on our website, we are an elder and it says slash board led. So ultimately, all the decisions at this level do follow me, but we do have a board of um, qualified leaders who some of them are elders themselves, who I hold myself accountable to um, whenever we're looking, especially big decisions. I mean, they don't need small decisions like, are we going to make coffee on Sundays? But if we're looking at big decisions on what it is that we're going to do, uh, just so you guys know um, that I hold myself accountable to them. So I'm not blindly making the decisions as I'm leading us and guiding us. They're kind of what I call elder light. The kind of interim until we get to the place of having other elders. But if a leader, I ever give you uh, directions or I'm, I'm guiding you in a way that's contrary to Scripture, then that should not be followed. If I'm saying, let's go do something that's against the gospel, that should not be followed. Nor is the verse suggesting that leaders are exempt from accountability, because they're not, and we're not. I've willingly offered uh, or accepted feedback and had conversations with individuals and said, that's okay. Like, we need to be, have that open. And we've already observed that leaders are admonished not to use their gifts in a dictator way. They're not to, to rule it as domineering, right? And so we don't, there needs to be accountability that's built in. But what he's saying here is those who are under the, leader of, under the leadership of the elders that you should be inclined to follow and submit to their leadership. And so if you're resistant to leadership, if you kind of buck leadership, specifically within the church, and you complain about the direction of the church, Peter's saying, stop that. As long as they're following Jesus, and keeping their eyes on Jesus, leading you and guiding you, and not going contrary to what this word says, but follow in their leading and their guiding. One of our... Uh, I think it was one of the interns this week told me about a study they saw where more and more pastors, put them in air bubbles, pastors are, are now no longer believing the complete authority of God's word. And so those who don't live here, and I'd say my interns who don't live here, if you find yourself in a church like that, please leave. 
And if you need someone to have a conversation with them, I will willingly help them on the phone call with them. I have no problem rebuking a fellow uh, pastor. Second part of verse 5 says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So Peter starts to move from this discussion in a relationship between the elders and the body to our relationships with one another. He's going to add to this next week, so we'll get it more uh, fully. So this is almost like a little preview for next week. But he uses this metaphor of clothing yourself. And he's referred to as putting on garments of humility. Think about your relationships with one another. That can be between dating couples. That can be between married couples. That can be between engaged couples. That can be between parents and children. Any relationship you have, if you enter that relationship with humility. The term humility speaks of this attitude where we put others first. Once again, is that easy? No, it's not easy to do at all. But if you put others first, their desires and their needs over your own, specifically within the church. That's right? where we see churches split. It's where we see churches blow up because there's not humility. Humility is well defined in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4, which says, Do nothing from selfishness or conceit. But in humility, count others better than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so the whole church body can be preserved. And you say, we want church unity. You know how you get church unity? By having humility. And when you have humility, you know what happens? You recognize that you're a fellow sinner. You stop seeing the sin in others first, and you see your own sin first, which allows you to proceed forward in the relationship. And when you see your own sin first, you're less likely to be offended as much by the other person's sin, even when they've sinned against you, because you're reminded, I'm also a sinner. And I have also sinned first. And so do you want to see loving relationships in the church? As we all know our head, yes. Do you want to see loving relationships in your family? Yes. Practice humility. Peter cites uh, Proverbs 3 and James 4 to remind the readers that, that God is against the proud, but he will lavish his favor upon those who are humble. So why does God oppose the proud? Because the proud trust in themselves and not God. They're proud to think they don't need God. That's why they're proud. They're proudful. They say, I don't need God, and I'm, I'm living essentially for my own glory. Why does God give grace to the humble? Because the humble trust God. The humble say, God, I need you. God, I can't do this on my own, and I delight in you. And so God gives glory, or God delights, rather, in the humble because they give glory to God. Wayne Gruden says, Grace is God's undeserved favor toward us and is needed not only to save us from eternal judgment, but also to enable us to live the Christian life. So here's the call that we were given this week. Walk in humility, honor God, Honor the elders that he has placed over you. Honor one another. And finally, pray for your elders and encourage them. And then my job, as one who's in a position of church leadership, is to also pray for you. To lead you willingly, eagerly. I, try, I don't do it daily, but I'm trying to make a habit of doing it regularly, this morning even. I think probably everyone in the room, and some of you are not in the room, I prayed for you. What's going on in your life? What I know is happening in your life. Sometimes it's really good things. God, thank you that this is happening in your life. Sometimes it's like, man, God, I need you to intercede here. I need you to show up. I need you to do this. Sometimes it's God, I need wisdom and leading and, and guiding this way. God, I need discernment. 
but to pray for you and to approach you with all humility. And it's as shepherds lead and sheep follow that we can all come together as the church, as the bride of Christ, and we walk towards the end of all things as we go through this life, as we go through the suffering that we have been called to endure together. And eventually, we'll receive the inheritance that is ours in Christ Jesus. Here's my final thing. Christ himself is our greatest example. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. We'll be done. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for you. And you are holy, you are worthy of all praise and honor and glory. God, Jesus is our example, our chief shepherd. And we always want Jesus to be the leader of Sojourn Church. And God, I consider it an honor, a privilege, and I humbly come to you as the one you've called to lead as your under-shepherd here. And God, we do pray and ask that you would raise up others to uh, be in leadership, God, that we could see a plurality of leaders raised up and formed here as we would grow, God, and as we would humbly follow after you. God, I pray for this body that we could uh, show humility first, especially as we have differences at times and as there's things going on in our lives, that we would remember that first we sinned and then we were sinned against. And God, that makes all the difference and all the posture of knowing that in our relationships with one another. And God, that we would give you all honor and glory and praise. And God, even in this life, on this side of eternity, if we don't receive any rewards, that we'll be reminded we don't do it for a reward here, but we do it for you and for your glory and for the reward that will come. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.